to Five or Flop, a podcast for the best and worst historical fiction has to offer. I'm your host, Grace. And I'm Erin. And each week we'll be reading a different historical fiction book to see if they're a five or if they're a flop. Our theme for this season, season one, is Reading Around the World, where we read two books from each continent. And this week's book, we're going to Asia, and we're reading Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. Which is one I'm super excited to be talking about. But before we begin, Grace, how is your week going? Anything exciting happening? My week is not as exciting as your week because you are in the lead up on a trip to Japan. Yes, I am. I am mostly just hanging out. So let's hear about you. Yes, so I am flying. We are filming this on a Wednesday, and I am flying out Friday to go to Japan. I'm going to Tokyo and Kyoto with one of my friends who I've only ever spent time with in person briefly for 20 minutes. So I consider us more, you know, online friends. Um, But also, she's one of my best friends, and I cannot wait for this trip. So... I'm excited for that. What is your thing on your itinerary that you're looking forward to the most? Everything. You can say more than one thing. If I had to narrow it down, I would just say the food in general. Mm -hmm. Any variety, any like, and by that I mean like street food, fancy restaurants, all of it. All of the food I'm excited for. Okay. I cannot wait for the review. I know. Me too. And what else, aside from historical fiction, uh, what else are you currently reading at the moment slash have you just finished? Okay. Actually, I just finished as followers of my bookstagram would know. You can follow it. Yeah. And we'll put it in our Instagram bio, my bookstagram. Um, This is like kind of a curveball. I read a lot of genres. I read pretty far across the board. And I just finished reading... Dance Macabre by Stephen King. Okay. It is a nonfiction study of the horror genre up until the 1980s. And it was okay. It was fine. It was a little, it was slow. It was slow to mm-hmm. read. It wasn't super crazy long. It was like 400 pages. And I love stuff like that that's like a study of the evolution of something, even okay. if it's not like a something that I really know a lot about. Yeah. Which I do not. Like I read horror books but not all the time and Mm -hmm. I don't watch horror movies I don't do that but it was a little slow and a little like too personal to Steven's taste for it to be like really universal okay that's fair yeah what about you what have you been reading recently I just finished If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio, which Ooh. was, I forget when it got popular, but like pretty recently. It came out in 2017. I was going to say, I definitely didn't hear about it in 2017, but no. I definitely know about it now. All I know is I was on the hold from the library, shout out to the DC Public Library. I was on hold for months to get this book. So I was really excited. I went up reading it in like a day. I loved it. It was very much, it felt like it was trying to be a secret history you know, that book by Don yes. Hart. Yes. But I liked it way better than A Secret History. Well, also, A Secret History is long, a right? Like, it's is really long. a chunky book. For me, it dragged. I wasn't a fan. However, so I like this book a lot. However, not everyone in the Storygraph review section did. And I Ooh. have the most scathing review Ooh. that I wish I could have read last week where we discussed Hamnet. 2.5 stars. This book is the epitome of a stereotypical theater kid. Your friend dies and you quote Shakespeare? R.I.P. Hamnet, you would have loved If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio. Hamnet, you would have loved it, just like I loved it. Anyways, let's get into our book for the week, which again is Snowflower and the Secret Fan, or we'll probably just be calling Snowflower. 
Yeah. All right. And this is the synopsis. And these synopses, by the way, we don't write them. We get them from the publisher. Yes. So this is like, we don't email the publisher. They're from the back of the book. Yeah, or from, I, pull like, it, yeah. I pull it off Amazon. Yeah. This is what the author thinks is the information that you need going into the book. Yes. So I do want to emphasize that. All right. Lily is haunted by memories of who she once was and of a person long gone who defined her existence. She has nothing but time now as she recounts the tale of Snowflower and asks the gods for forgiveness. In 19th century China, when wives and daughters were footbound and lived in almost total seclusion, the women in one remote Hunan County developed their own secret code for communication, new shu or women's writing. Some girls were paired with laotongs, or old sames, in emotional matches that lasted throughout their lives. They painted letters on fans, embroidered messages on handkerchiefs, and composed stories, thereby reaching out of their isolation to share their hopes, dreams, and accomplishments. With the arrival of a silk fan on which Snowflower has composed for Lily a poem of introduction in New Shu, their friendship is sealed and they become old sames at the tender age of seven. As the years pass through famine and rebellion, they reflect upon their arranged marriages, loneliness, and the joys and tragedies of motherhood. The two find solace developing a bond that keeps their spirits alive. But when a misunderstanding arises, their lifelong friendship suddenly threatens to tear apart. And I will say this is one of the most thorough synopsises I've read in a while. This is, it's really long and it hits the major points that you need. Yeah, exactly. So you're on like solid footing going into this book. Yeah. And again, kind of like when we were talking about Hamnet, the like misunderstanding that they're talking about at the tail end of that synopsis is not really like the hinge around this book's main plot or anything like that. That came towards the end. Yeah. In the framing device, Lily is old. She's in her 80s or 90s. And the framing device is her, you know, telling her story, her life story of her relationship with Snowflower. She and Snowflower and their relationship is the central tension of this book. But the course of the book goes from them meeting when they're, you know, seven or six or seven and then going through the the end of their lives, essentially. So the evolution of that relationship is the most important thing rather than like any one specific event that happened in that time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how prolific of a writer Lisa C was, or is she still currently writing books? She's, she put out a book this year yeah, and I, I, and it's doing very well. So congratulations to Lisa. And I also like, I knew her from Snowflower and the Secret Fan. Okay. And there are like one or two other books that she had put out that I had heard of, but I didn't realize that there were evidently a bunch of them. Oh, I'm just looking now at her website. She has a whole section for historical fiction books. She's written quite a number. She wrote Shanghai Girls. Yeah. And that one I've definitely heard of. I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. Okay. But anyway, she's a New York Times bestselling author, born in Paris, and she grew up in LA. So her first book, I don't know if it's quite a memoir or like fictionalized, but it's about her family's Chinese-American history and how like her ancestors got established in LA. For Snowflower, she actually traveled to a really remote area of China where they told her she was the second foreigner to ever visit. And she was researching Nushu, which is the women's writing, the form of communication that's super prominent in this book. And I was just saying before we started recording to Erin, I was like, the two biggest things in this book in terms of the history, I yes. think, are foot binding, which everyone knows about. Yes. Like, even if you don't know the details, people you, know you what know it is. Yeah. And Nushu, which I had never heard of, and until I started reading the book, didn't know that it would be part of the book. And it was a major presence throughout the whole thing, the concept of Nushu. Yes, and it's super important. It's also 
And I'll get into this in the history section of this podcast as well. It was only spoken spoken by a very small community, and it has since kind of died out. But that's something we can go into later. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like we're ready to get started. So we'll give the disclaimer that we give every week, which is that all of our judgments are coming based on the book and its characters rather than any real people. In Mm -hmm. this case, this is not a Hamnet situation. Uh, Lily and Snowflower weren't real. They were all, you know, they're creations of Lisa C. But again, we're, we're looking closely and narrowly at the book rather than more broadly. And also, we are going to be giving spoilers for Snowflower yes. and the Secret Fan. However, it did come out in 2005, so you have had the chance to read it exactly. if you wanted to read it. No time would've. to be offended by spoilers now. And even if we do spoil it, still think you should read it. You but... can pause now and go read it and then come back later. Exactly. But, all right, Grace, you want to kick us off? Um, what is your most prominent thing you want to bring to the table? I really liked the way that Lisa C. framed the study of these two women's lives. We follow them from girlhood to older age, and there are so many things that you're confronted with. Honestly, it's kind of the same thing that I said about the framing of of Anne Hathaway in Hamnet, which is that it's not given this, like, pop girl boss framing. Like, there is really horrible stuff in this Mm -hmm. society in, gosh, what is it? It's 1800s China. I think it's, like, the 1850s. Yes. And there's really... Or it starts 1820s and then continues. It spans a really long period of time. And there's really horrible stuff for women in this society, and most notably foot binding. Yes. Which makes its appearance at the beginning of the book when Snowflower and Lily are of an age to have their feet bound. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're told traditionally it happens at six, and they have it happen when they are seven. Yes. But they are not – this book is not about women who are trying to change their society. It's showing us how women lived within it. Yeah, and I think that's a really important example to have in historical fiction because – a lot of historical fiction books, and maybe it's just the ones, you know, I've seen a lot with, like, book talk and all of that, mm-hmm. are the girl boss, we're going to change the world. But that's not realistic for everyone's situation. Like, there are people who, you know, have to live with it. Like, there's no way to change their situation. Yeah, and also not everyone wants to or realizes that they should. Exactly. Like, it's kind of in a way where, like, you know how people say, like, oh, well, if I went back in time, I simply would have resisted the Nazis. Exactly. Like, most people wouldn't have. Like, oh, if I was a young girl in China, I would just refuse to bind my daughter's feet. And it's like, no, people... probably wouldn't have. Because they go through this horrible experience of having the bones in their feet broken, Mm -hmm. and then Lily and Snowflower grow up and they bind their daughter's feet. They don't... That experience doesn't stop them, even though, again, spoiler... Lily's younger sister dies of having her feet bound. And they say in the book, Lily says that she doesn't know this until later on, but tells us, the reader at the time, that one out of every 10 girls died from foot binding, from blood poisoning and yeah. everything else. I mean, else. And the idea of it is that they the ideal foot size is, I think, seven centimeters. Yeah. Like, imagining how tiny that is and the way that you're really fucking up your foot forever – like there is definitely possibility that you get some sort of infection and, yeah. and die. Like you're and they're not, you know, they're doing it at home, their mothers are binding their feet. I was looking at my own size nine and a half, ten foot while I was reading this and just 
the description of it was very vivid. Yeah. I will say that. And I'm not a person who does gore well, so I did kind of like, not not necessarily gory, but like any... It was squeamish. Squeamish. A hundred percent. Yeah. I kind of skimmed that section, but... I do think what you said about, you know, the upholding of tradition is a lot of where the power of this book comes in. And it's finding love and a place of belonging and friendship in a society where those relationships between women aren't as frequent. Like, you can't go out and just become friends with anyone. You're in the upstairs room with the other women in your home, in your little community. Mm -hmm. But how the power, that sounds so cheesy, how the power of friendship transcends all of it. But it really does. But it is true. I mean, and also the point of it is that Snowflower and Lily find this close friendship under the formal auspices of the society. Yes. They are in what is called a Lautong relationship. Mm -hmm. And that is when two women are binded together for for life in friendship. Through a contract. Um, Through like a written contract. And it's supposed to be a relationship that is closer and more significant than the one that you have with your husband. Because obviously in this time, they're not... I don't mean to say obviously. In this time, they're not marrying for love. Mm-hmm. They are married by matchmakers yes. in accordance to, you know, how high can you go up the chain, essentially. And you're right. Like, when you live in your women's rooms upstairs, mm-hmm. as Lily and Snowflower do, you live with your – when you're young, you live with your mother. When you're old, you live with your mother-in-law. You live with the wives of any of your husband's brothers mm-hmm. – you live with any of your husband's sisters, and you live with their servants. Those are all of the women you see, and you don't really venture that far out of your house. And when these women would marry into the families, like, they would be looked down upon by the mother-in-law, by the sisters, because they were seen as, like, the... They were interlopers. They yeah, weren't interlopers. part of the family. Yeah, then that there was a hierarchy based on, you know, you your place was tenuous until you had yeah. sons, essentially. Yes. And so that was a big point in the novel, which I'm sure we'll get into a bit later. Oh, yes. But Um, let's maybe start at the beginning when we're introduced to Nushu. Yes. So Nushu is this form of women's writing, it's called, and I'll go into a little bit of the history now from my research. But it was kind of seen as like, it was very similar to traditional, like, Chinese characters and lettering, but it was almost like an italicized version. It was pretty much spread through song, through the songs they would sing in their women's room and through writing that they would practice. But because they had such a limited number of characters that they would use, context was super important, which if you could glean that from the synopsis of a misunderstanding and you kind of put those two things together, you start to see where this novel's heading. Mm -hmm. Because I think the way that she described it is that the version of writing that men would use, like we've all heard about how many Chinese characters there yes. are. There are so many of them and they all have a very specific meaning. But in Nushu, characters represent sounds mm-hmm. rather than concepts. So it's like kind of like in English how we have homonyms. Yes. Like if I say pair, you at home listening on your headphones don't know if I just meant P-A-I-R or P-E-A-R. But if I just said, oh, I ate a pear, you then would you know. would know what I meant. So it relied on that contextual use of sound to communicate. Mm -hmm. I liked the idea of Nushu as kind of referencing back to what we were talking to about how these women, they're still upholding the traditions. They don't really have a way to, you know, lead a revolution and fight for freedom. Or if that's, you know, we don't even know that's what all of the characters would want. Certainly Lily does not want that. Certainly, no. Lily winds up with a pretty good situation that she makes very clear to Snowflower throughout the novel. But... Nushu 
it's a way to build your own freedom where you don't necessarily have a voice otherwise. Like these women were allowed to communicate through that and were able to, and it gave them a voice that they wouldn't otherwise have. And it gave them a way to communicate that they wouldn't otherwise have. And it gave them a voice to speak to each other. Yes. Like they, Snowflower and Lily write letters to each other their whole lives during really significant events. They have a fan that they paint poems on and send back and forth, which is where the title comes from. Mm -hmm. And the, secret of the secret fan is that it's not for men's eyes. Yeah. It's something that is solely for women. And I believe that it is the only language that has been like specifically used (laughs) by women, that there's no other language in the world that is comparable, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. And I am very glad that I learned about it through this book. So nice. So thank you again, Lisa C. Yes. I did not know about it before. So the beginning of the book, it starts when they're young. They Mm -hmm. meet when they're young. They sign their Lautong contract and they become old sames. They become friends for life. Besties, if you will. (laughs) Besties in our modern parlance. And that's when we're introduced to Nushu. And then that's when we get the foot binding, which is, like we said, a little bit gruesome. And something that's interesting is the matchmaker comes to see Lily and sees her as like a really good prospect for marrying up. She's in this farmer's family. They're pretty impoverished, but she sees her as a prospect for marrying up. So the matchmaker is essentially like, I have this other girl, you know, your stars align, you're the same age, et cetera, et cetera, who's from a really good family. So you should too should become old sames. And the whole reason that Lily has this bright future that the matchmaker sees is that she has high arches, that yes. she has a high arch in her foot. And they're like, oh, your feet are going to bind into beautiful golden lilies, as as they call them, when you have perfectly bound feet. And that is what happens. Her feet are perfectly bound. And as she and Snowflower get older, Lily marries into a really prosperous family in the rich village. Yes, which happens to be the same village that Snowflower's from. But... All of this time, Snowflower's been coming and staying with Lily and seeing her family. And Lily's ashamed about her family because she's like, oh, Snowflower is from this really wealthy household. I am but a simple farmer's daughter. Uh-huh. You know? And crucially, Lily does not go to Snowflower's family. Yes. And this comes up after she's married, as she's going to, correct, after she's married, when she's going to help Snowflower prepare. Yes. yes. When she's going to help Snowflower prepare for her wedding. Yes. And then it comes out that Snowflower's family had actually lost their fortune. Her dad had become addicted to drugs. All of her siblings had left and abandoned them, or abandoned her and her mother to deal with their abusive father. And the matchmaker is actually Snowflower's aunt, who is trying to secure a better future for her by aligning her with this girl who had such good prospects. And the reason that she couldn't match her with another girl who was already wealthy was because the people in Snowflower's village knew that her family was impoverished, knew that her father was addicted to opium, so that she had to find a girl who could be brought up from low circumstances, which was Lily. So in a sense, and I have not read this book in a while, but this book reminded me of the book Flipped. Okay. Do you remember that when you were a kid? And it was like, The girl had the crush on the guy and was, like, obsessed with her, and then it flipped, and then she wasn't interested, and then he was obsessed with her. No, I don't think I know about this. It had an upside-down chicken on the cover. Anyways, my sister loved it, so I I read it as a kid. But, and I have not read it in years, but Snowflower, in a sense, reminds me of that, because the juxtaposition of the characters flips just like that. Lily is seen as the impoverished one who needs Snowflower to bring her up, 
And then it flips, and then suddenly Snowflower is in this vulnerable position. She's married to a butcher, which is seen as, like, the lowest of the low in terms of society. And now she's relying on Lily to help her to bring her up. Yeah, that and that takes place pretty close to the midpoint of the book yes. when that switch happens. Correct. And that really informs the rest of their relationship going forward that Lily has – she came from these humbler upbringings, but now she has this charmed life. Like she said, uh, Snowflower is married to a butcher who is cruel to her. She lives with the butcher's mother, who is even more cruel to her. <laughs> she was um, the worst. She was horrible. She was the worst <laughs> character. Um, not that any of the other characters were, like, amazing. Well, Snowflower was great. I liked Snowflower. Snowflower was, we stand Snowflower in this house. <laughs> But no, her, she was, she had a lot of miscarriages. But meanwhile, Lily, kind of sitting in her golden tower with her wealthy husband, she had a lot of sons right away. So she was held in decent esteem from her mother-in-law. She was really respected by the people of her village because she was the wife of the richest man. Mm -hmm. She lived this really great life and her path diverged from snowflowers so sharply that it was difficult for them to continue being as close as they were. And I think this is something that Snowflower recognized. Yes. And Lily did not. And Lily, I'm trying to say this without making how obvious it is yet that I dislike Lily. Lily put a lot of pressure on Snowflower to kind of pull herself up by her bootstraps and do better. Mm-hmm. And she, when she would have a miscarriage, Lily would be like, well, stop crying, just have another son, that's your duty. And it, she became very harsh, and she lost the empathy that I feel like we had seen in her as a child. Like yes. I feel like she was a child who really longed for a close relationship, longed for love and friendship, and then now that she had a nice life, kind of lost all of that. Yes. I mean, and she says explicitly, the Lily that is telling us the story from her 80s or 90s says this to us mm-hmm. and is like, I lost my chance at the love that I wanted by acting cruelly. Yes. And that's the main crux of this whole story. Honestly, the misunderstanding itself seemed much less important to the story than, to me at least, than like the gradual... like Yes. I feel like disintegration of the relationship. If that disintegration had not happened, the misunderstanding wouldn't have ruined their friendship. And I feel like that's so accurate in a lot of situations. Like when you have a falling out with a friend or a family member, Mm -hmm. it builds over time. It's not just like one little thing and it snaps. It's been building and that pressure has been continuing. The last straw is never the like important straw. Exactly. It's just the fact that it's a lot of things at once. Exactly. Yeah. But as we said, Snowflower had a really hard life. Lily did not have a hard life. And I think because she did come from a poor family, Mm -hmm. she came with the mindset that, like, all you have to do is believe in the the structures of the society in order to, like, live as you should be. And she couldn't – like, I am torn on Lily because I think it's a really interesting character because she – always comfort Snowflower by saying, like, oh, well, it is our duty to be, you know, to obey our husbands and to bear them sons. And she, I think, when communicating these things to Snowflower as her, like, advice, Mm -hmm. I think it 
was true that she was like not listening to her friend at all mm-hmm. and was basically thinking about her own good life. Correct. But I think she did believe those things. Yeah, like I don't I think do she too. was feeding her bullshit. She was like taking comfort in things that were true for her because she didn't have to struggle for any of them. Yeah. So and clearly the the Lily from the future has recognized those those I faults. Agree. It does show a lot of growth. It seems like a lot of Lily's growth happened outside of the novel, which I don't think is a bad thing. No. In the context of the framing device. Like, I actually like that, that we didn't have to, like, go through the journey with her that we knew the outcome of. Like, Mm -hmm. we already knew she had gone through this journey. Mm -hmm. And also, Lily outlives Snowflower by a couple decades of time. Probably about 40 years, I would say. Yeah. 30 or 40 years, Lily outlives Snowflower. So she's had time to think. Exactly. So she has been, she is full of regrets, essentially. And that is made abundantly clear. Let's go through some of the major plot points, because I feel like we've, this book is easy to see in it in terms of its major themes that almost like the significant events that happen kind of get lost. Mm -hmm. Again, not that they were bad or anything. It's not to say that there's no plot. The plot is definitely there. There is. One whole point. So after they've been married, after they've each had a few kids, and they kind of have this rocky relationship. Yeah. Lily goes to stay with Snowflower for a bit. And this is when war breaks out, which is not good. And basically, the town that they're, their village that they're in, they have to flee and live in the snowy mountains for, I think it was like three months. Bad. At this time, we really begin to see Lily and Snowflower disintegrate. Because they're put in this high-stress situation that, in Lily's mind, she's like, I should not have come. I wouldn't have had to be here. Which, and, to be fair, I would also think that. Yeah. Which, okay, credit to Lily. I was like, if I yeah. stayed with my rich husband, I wouldn't be living in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> On this journey, a lot of her callous advice, I would say, to Snowflower really comes into play. Because yes. what if Snowflower's sons, like her prospect to get their family out of poverty, he dies. Lily is very much just like, okay, make another one. Or, like, you should be nicer to your other son. Yeah. And to the point where, like, they're in this freezing mountain and Snowflower and her husband are, like, trying to conceive a child. They're fucking in the snow and it's cold and people are around because she feels like she needs to live up to Lily's advice. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she's doing it for Lily's advice isn't necessarily revealed until later on. Uh But it is very significant. I think that's where you really see the breaking point. Uh Well, also, I think this is an interesting element to explore because this is not the only time that we talk about sex, especially in relation to Snowflower. But a key part of the book is that Snowflower enjoys having sex with her husband. Mm -hmm. And Lily does not. Her husband is not, Lily's husband is not cruel to her. It's like fine. She just gets no pleasure from sex. But Snowflower enjoys it. And she says to Lily, like almost explicitly, like, what is wrong with me taking this pleasure when the rest of my life is so difficult to live? And there is, like, I don't think a rule that women shouldn't like sex with their no, husbands. Like, so. she's not cheating. She's not, like, she's just sleeping with her husband. She's which just you're enjoying suppo- herself. Which yeah. you're supposed to do. Yeah. But there is definite judgment from Lily that Snowflower enjoys sex. Yes. And I wonder, that kind of brings up a point I know we had mentioned as it went. There was sort of queer undertones yeah. throughout this book. Yeah. Like, there's the part where they're, like, in bed together, naked, like, 
kind of touching each other. Yeah. And, like, and drawing like, characters on each other. And when we say just, like, they're naked in bed touching each other, you're like, okay, that's not an undertone that is queer. But it's just, like, it's framed as, like, you know, it's, like, 1850. Yeah. And it's the summer, so they just start sleeping with no clothes. It's just hot. And they're young girls still at this stage. They're not adult women. And they are, like, drawing on each other's backs with water. Yes. And at first when this scene starts, I was like, oh, is this, like, an unintentionally queer yeah. scene? And then as it continued, I was like, no, this seems explicit on the part of Lisa C. Yes, it seems like the author made a decision. And I don't even think she's necessarily saying that, like, oh, their relationship was a romantic one or that, no. oh, like, they were true loves I think she's just kind of emphasizing that, like, this is the relationship. Yes. This is the most important thing in either of their lives. And I think it's important to reflect on how much Lily wanted love. Like, the book starts out with her saying, when I was a kid, all I wanted was for my mother to love me. Mm. So she was seeking that out. And I think that led to a lot of the conflict with Lily and Snowflower as well when Snowflower had other people start to come into her life. Yes. Like when she was enjoying sex with her husband, Lily disapproved. She started to form other friends when they were on the mountain, which will lead into our next big plot point. The big misunderstanding. Exactly. And Lily got very upset. The kind of jealousy that like, I think back to like when I would have a crush on someone in middle school and not know it was a crush and be like, they shouldn't have other friends, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like she doesn't know that what she's feeling is because she wants to be that only person. Yes. Essentially, Snowflower writes a new shoe letter to Lily and says, I have other friends who will who will support me, essentially. Yeah. If we just need to remember what we've had with each other. That's fine. And Lily takes it and interprets it as, these are my sworn sisters, which is the other kind of very close female friendship, not as strong as a Laotong, but also very significant female friendship. So she feels like she's been replaced. So Snowflower essentially is saying, I'm not going to come to you for advice or to vent because I have these women that will do it for me. Who are in a similar situation. Exactly. Who are not the rich man's wife on the hill with their golden lily feet. Mm-hmm. But what Lily hears is a formal dissolution of their contract. Yes. And that makes her angry. Because yes. in her eyes, she's been nothing but there for Snowflower the whole time. Mm-hmm. Now Snowflower, in Lily's eyes, has written her off completely. So Lily is going to do the exact same thing. This part of the book is so tragic. This part really makes me angry. Because the matchmaker comes looking for a Lao Tong for Snowflower's child. Lily and Snowflower have daughters that are the same age. And yes. they've always said, like, they will be old Sames. Like, we are old Sames. Exactly. We will bind their feet on the same day. Like, all of that. And when the matchmaker, which is Snowflower's aunt, as we know, comes and says, hey, it's time for them to become old Sames, Lily not not literally slams the door in her face. But I mean, honestly, kind of worse. She's basically like... You think that I would tie my daughter to a butcher's daughter? Exactly. She is explicitly like, hell no. Yeah, she is terrible. And then as we go on, their relationship is crumbled. And then Snowflower becomes very sick. Yes. And it is not until Snowflower is very sick that Snowflower's daughter comes to her house and says, like, my mother is asking for you. Like, she wants no one but you. To her credit, Lily goes and cares for Snowflower Mm -hmm. until she dies. And it isn't... It takes her a while to grasp that Snowflower is going to die. She doesn't want to believe... I think she knows, but she doesn't want to. Yeah, but she, like, 
brings in like a fancy doctor like she brings in uh someone else like she brings in all these people and snowflower like she has an advanced form of cancer or something like which she's not coming back from which we learned from her other group of women friends in her community that that had already started when she was on the mountain she'd had it for a long time and it had grown and grown and she hadn't and yet lily never knew about it exactly she did not care to see because I think if she had looked she would have seen it she would have known and then after Snowflower eventually passes away her friends in the village kind of let loose on Lily and I was here for it hell yeah yeah I'm like they really went off on her they were like she never did this you interpreted it this way she never wanted to end your friendship you hurt her so badly all of this and Lily kind of has an oh shit moment yeah, and she tries then to start making amends, but I think this is one of the, like, Lisa C. lingers on this part so briefly, but it was really moving to me. She's like, okay, I, I'm going to do all this stuff for Snowflower's children. Mm-hmm. Snowflower has a son who survived the mountains, and she has this daughter, and the daughter commits suicide on her wedding night. Yes. And that part, to me, showed that, like, you cannot just undo damage that has been done. Exactly. Like, it wasn't even Snowflower's daughter that most of this involved, but she was, like, caught in the fallout of it, and she wasn't able to pull herself up. Exactly. Her life was so dramatically changed because she wasn't able to become old Sames because of Lily's decisions. Yes. And Snowflower's son, I think, turned out okay. Like, he got married and had children, didn't he? He did, yes. And because of that, in order to improve his standing so he wouldn't have to be a butcher, that is when Lily was able to get him a job with her old family's farm. So he was in a better standing. And then afterwards, she said, okay, well, our grandchildren are going to get married then. She did what she could, but I feel like even then she was like, okay, now that I've done what I can and set up Snowflower's son to have a good life, she's like, I still know in my heart that I'm not, like, done with my penance. Yeah. She, and even, this is, I have my book here. She just whipped out her copy. I just dug my copy of the book out. Oh, and I can't find the end of it because this is the author's note. Okay. Like, the very last line of the book is, please forgive me. Like, she's telling her story to everyone but to Snowflower. Yes. And she says, please forgive me. And that, like, really made stop me in my tracks. Yeah. That, like, this is a book about regret. At its core, it's a book about regret. And it doesn't have a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Lily does not stop regretting, and she makes it clear that she won't until she dies and then is hopefully reunited with Snowflower. Exactly. And I think something that's important that I forgot about until you were just reading this is a big part of when they have burials is they take, like, writings to introduce someone to their ancestors once they die. Yes. And they burn them so it, you know, goes up with their spirit and then the ancestors, you know, know them, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of how this felt to me. Like, she is taking this with her, and she's going to have it burned. Did she say that at one point? Yes, I think so. Yeah, like, she's going to is... make sure her daughter-in-law burns it so that this message is carried up to Snowflower. Yeah. And this is, like, the central, you know, this is the conceit of the book that she's telling her story about her life that she wants to carry with her as she's old and knows she doesn't have that long left. And it's the story of her and Snowflower. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know jack shit about her husband or no. even really her kids. Yeah. Like, we don't know her husband's name. It's just like we don't know Shakespeare's name exactly. in Hamnet. It um, all comes back to Hamnet. <laughs> With like, Hamnet, you would have loved the secret fan. This is, like, it's a, bo- it's a story about Snowflower. And yeah. she knows, like, 
this is my central mistake that I made and it is my central relationship in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's what this book is like chiefly about. And I think that's so powerful. Like for us reading this as young women who I have, and I'm sure you have had had relationships and friendships that ended poorly that we wish could have gone a different way. Mm-hmm. It's a really powerful reminder that damage isn't undone and there are some regrets that we might carry. Yeah. I love the beauty of a, of a, small story made large yes because this isn't a story of war and like like there literal is war in this book and it makes such a like small like appearance that you have to like look up in the author's note or google to see like what what war it even was exactly this is a story about two women and yet the emotions of it are so powerful Mm -hmm. i agree and i also like that the author didn't explain too much of the historical context because it was from the perspective of lily Who's living it. Who's living it. And also they would tell her like, oh, this is a man's subject area. Like, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to know anything about it. Exactly. So there's only so much she realistically would have known. Yeah. And it's the invert. Like, she knows a lot about Nushu because she's living it in her day to day. We're reading it and we're like, oh, I don't know what that is. But if she told us about, you know, whatever war, like probably people nowadays have more commonly heard of that. Exactly. It's about the, you know, the point of view from the narrator. Exactly. Is this a good time to maybe pivot into some of the history, Erin? I think it is. So, this book takes place in mid-1800s China. So, obviously, foot binding is a major practice at this point in time and was still super common. And we talked about some of the details at the beginning. But that stat we mentioned that actually Lily mentions in the novel that about one out of every ten girls died is true. And I looked that up as soon as I saw it in the book, and I was really hoping it wasn't going to be true. But it was. And, like, you just don't see how it, like, can't be that so many people did not die of doing this. I was surprised it wasn't a higher stat. Honestly, yeah. I don't know. When I learned about foot binding in AP World History in 10th grade, I've never forgotten that lesson and just seeing the pictures of it. So this was the first time I'd, like, read about someone experiencing it in a novel. Mm -hmm. And I think she did a very good job portraying it. Yeah. And, like, imagine – just imagine – the pain of doing something like that, that, like, A, it sticks with you for your whole life. Yeah, there's you, no like, going back. No, your feet never don't hurt ever again. But also, like, when you think about other, like, extreme things that people will do for beauty or whatever, plastic surgery or something, yeah. that is really high tech. Book binding is your mom tying your feet with rags in your house and that is it. Yeah. Like, you're breaking your bones and molding your foot to be seven centimeters big with rags and that's it. Exactly. Like, that's just insane to me. Traditional gender divides at the time, obviously, were very prominent between men and women. I say obviously because that's a lot of what we've talked about. Because it's obviously like that in the book. I mean, like, men are just, like, barely present in the book. Yeah, and I do... Because they're not really present in an adult woman's life at this time in China. And I do like that because men were seen as, like, the only one of, as they say in the book, the only one of worth in society. But in this book, they're of no worth at all. Like, they're not even prominent characters. <laughs> yeah, fuck them. <laughs> exactly. I but mean, like we said, we don't know Snowflower's husband's name. We don't know they, Lily's husband's name. They barely talk about her brothers or anything. No, they don't talk about them at all because they're not relevant to her. After she turns seven and yeah. has her feet bound, she's not running outside with her brothers anymore. So they cease to become a part of her life. Exactly. Her um, father and her uncle get mentions, but like, that's that's kind of, that's it. Confucianism was also incredibly prominent at this time. 
they mention several different principles throughout the book, which are indeed based in fact Confucian practices mm-hmm. um, about obeying husbands, obeying your father, obeying your sons, that sort of thing, which we do see practice. And that is the basis of a lot of Lily's quote unquote advice to Snowflower mm-hmm. and a lot of her pushing her to, oh, just have another kid. Oh, just listen to your husband. That sort of thing. So that is all based in actual Confucian practices or ideology. The practice of Laotang and old sames is commonly practiced or was commonly practiced at the time in Hunan and was the most sacred female bond. So I do feel like it is portrayed pretty accurately in the book. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously we weren't there, mm-hmm. but it like is given the like weight that it deserves, yes. essentially, that like there are these two types of female relationships and mm-hmm. the Laotang relationship just has so much this more. much more emphasis on how important it is. And they say repeatedly that it's more important than the relationship you have with your husband. And in the book, it's said that they determine it based on kind of star sign, date of birth, what day you had your feet bound. They have the the eight characters and that, that have I, to align. And I don't remember what the rest of them are, frankly. No, I don't either. I couldn't really find any information on that specifically and if mm. that was like really used to determine. I'm going to make a guess and say that it probably was because Lisa C. did so much research. I was going to say, like, she went there, she visited. Yeah. She didn't mention the eight characters in her author note, though. Yeah. Which I would love if she would so, so that we could have confirmation. Lisa C., if you're listening to us, um, please email us at fiberflotpodcast at gmail.com to give us some answers. Thank you. Finally, new shoes. So that was used exclusively in Hunan before going extinct in the 20th century. There was actually a brief article I saw on the last woman who was like considered fluent Mm -hmm. which was really interesting and also you know kind of sad where it's you know you think of like languages that are dying on a larger scale yeah but this is just as significant this was a major form of communication dying out and it's sad like yeah it's a loss of culture it's a loss of history i mean and like when when it was became more common for women to be literate in like so-called men's writing Mm -hmm. they lost this like i think i saw there were, for a while, some women who were trying to continue to be practitioners of Nushu, yeah. but it was for the sake of keeping Nushu alive. It yes. no longer had a utilitarian purpose. And, and I so think it's important losing to... that kind of is a victim of progress, honestly, is yeah. what happened to it. And I think it's an important thing to remember, especially now in how our society, how capitalist America is, not everything has to have a utilitarian purpose to have yeah. meaning. Well, also, though, as we learned in the book, the whole point of Snow of Lily telling her story was to be burned with her when she died yeah. so that knowledge would go up with her. So, it so that's why does. we don't have a yeah. lot of new shoe writing because they burned it because it was part of their culture, which is great for them, but it's terrible for his story. Yeah. And one thing I thought was really interesting, this is my last point related to new shoe, is that in the book they have the sworn sisters and the old sames writing a new shoe in their in books to give on behalf of the bride to the mother-in-law and their sister-in-laws on their wedding day to learn about yes. that. And that was a real practice. Ooh. So that was really exciting to learn that that has basis. Because I think that's really cool. It's just kind of like writing on behalf of the bride, like, oh my gosh, she's so great. Like, please don't be mean to her. Yeah. I mean, and that was like... A demonstration, I think, of Lisa C.'s dedication to the book of the history and of getting it right was because that was such a small part of the book. Oh, yeah. Like those wedding books that they wrote to each other. It only Um, came up like twice. Yeah. And making sure that these details are right where like girl in 1850 would know about these things and just be like, oh, yeah, that. And it wouldn't be like a huge point of emphasis for her. Like that it serves to make the book more realistic and to inform, you know, us modern, non-Chinese, 1850s, 10-year-old girls who are reading it. 
Exactly. So in terms of historical accuracy, from my brief research, it's pretty historically accurate to me, and I like that the minor details added so much. And I liked in opposition to Hamnet, it wasn't about like real famous historical figures like it was about people living in their society. Exactly. And that's and women, kind of crucially. Women We want to read books about girls. Yeah, honestly. That's kind of my favorite type of historical fiction book is the more like this is what life was like. Mm-hmm. But I think we're able to move into our next section. Where Let's is, pivot to our calculator. Yeah, our fabulous data scientist Ashley has made us a calculator based on historical accuracy, vibes, prose, originality, and characters to help us determine if that book was a five or a flop. All right. So Grace, why don't you get us started? All right. So for historical accuracy, I gave it a four. Vibes, five. Prose, four. Originality, five. Characters, Five. That's going to be the thing that we're going to have to talk about because I'm looking at Aaron's and it's very <laughs> different than mine. Uh, but that's for a total of 4.6. And when I rated it on Storygraph, I gave it a 4.75. So again, Ashley, you nailed it. We're really close. And I am sorry I'm getting my Storygraph pulled up right now. But Grace and I actually had the same final score here, which was 4.6. But I gave a 5 in historical accuracy, 5 in vibes. You see, I always grade very easy on the vibes. 5 for prose, 5 for originality, and a 3.75 for the characters. And I struggled with the characters a lot because I hated so many of them. (laughs) However, I did feel they were all very accurate, and I liked Lily's redemption arc. I just... Wish we had a better idea of what Lily's other relationships with the other characters were like in order to have that as a point of comparison for Snowflower. That's true. Because really, the the centrality of Lily and Snowflower's relationship does push other people to the side. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, that was my main issue. Because if the only if my only issue had been Lily was a bitch, but she had a redemption arc at the end... That's different. Then she we don't, would still be fine. Because we don't disagree... That Lily had a lot of problems. Yeah. But I still rated characters as a five just because I thought that they were all like, I like reading about imperfect people. Yes. And sometimes you read books with unlikable characters and it's not fun. Mm-hmm. But I thought this was just like a joy, like this book was a joy to read, even though so much of it was so tragic. It was a, we obviously both like, we loved it. Rated it really highly. This on is a story, five. On Storygraph, I rated it a five. So this it's a certified five. A literal five, not a flop, a five. You heard it here first. But there is, like, tension there because yes. they're not just, like, likable characters. Yeah, they're I agree. They're characters that have multitudes and flaws. And at the end of the day, the characters are not that is, like, good for the book. Yes. I think the last and most important thing I want to say about my thoughts on Snowflower, and this is something I texted Grace while I was in the middle of reading it, it felt a lot longer than it was, but not in a bad way. Yes. This is a really short book. I have my copy and it is like it is 258 pages. It is not a long book. No, but I felt so immersed in it that it felt like I had been reading it for like it felt like I was on the character's lifelong journey with them. It didn't feel like 200 pages. Yeah. 
And it's not even, we're not saying like, oh, it dragged. No, it, it absolutely didn't. didn't. You wanted to savor the words. Yes. So it went, it was a very well constructed book. And yes. even though it's short, you linger with it. Exactly. So I think we can officially say that Snowflower and the Secret Fan is not a flop. It is a five. So this is our first real five. Yes. Because we liked Hamnet, it was not a five. No. Snowflower and the Secret Fan, that is a five. It was so. a real five, and I'm excited, and I won't give it away yet, but I know we have another five coming on this podcast. Ooh, okay. Because I just finished reading it the other day. Erin is ahead of me in the reading. <laughs> okay, so I will say that next week we are traveling to Colombia. Next week we're doing South America as our next continent, and we'll be reading Fruit of the Drunken Tree by Ingrid Rojas Contreras. Yes. And we are very excited for we it. We are very excited. Um, in the meantime, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can find us at FiverrFlop underscore pod. And in our bio, we have a link to a recommendation form where you can send us a, your suggestions for more books to read in the future. And if you have anything else that you want to say to us about Hamnet, Snowflower in the Secret Fan, anything else that you might want, you can email us at FiverrFloppodcast at gmail.com. Especially if you're the author of one of these books, because I have questions. Yes. Please mark the emails as high importance if you are Lisa C. or Maggie O'Farrell or Ingrid Rojas Contreras. And until then, happy reading. Bye. Bye.